So we're in this series called The Heart of Celebration, just to give you, the reason I wanted to, wanted to see if we could flip the thing around was because I'd love to have a chance to, um, to talk about how we, how we worship in a particular way and then to do it and to have a, a possible context in the middle to be able to pray for people as well. Um, and I feel like it's, it's a, it looks like, I recognize almost everyone here this morning, which means it looks like it's probably quite a good day to do something a little bit risky um, because it looks like, you know, if there were suddenly 30 people who I'd never seen, I would probably back off. Um, but I'm hoping that we might actually be able to do something, to just might, we might be able to pray for people and ask for God to meet with us and help us, um, particularly to kind of break through in something, which I, is close to my heart and I feel quite challenged to speak on as well. And so we've been doing this little series called Heart of Celebration, looking at the heart that's expectant, waiting for God and knowing he's going to do something, the heart that's resilient, that stands and hangs in there in the face of pressure. And this morning we're looking at the childlike heart, which is to, what it is to be a, a, a heart that's like a kid, and what, why Jesus tells us to be like children, and what that affect, how that affects our worship life. But I think it's an incredibly important thing that many of us as British people probably really struggle with and most of us in the room are British and probably and even some of us who aren't have lived here long enough to have become British with particular respect to the way we worship together and I feel like there's a an important godly challenge from Jesus to be like a child and I'd love us to I'm don't worry we're not going to have to do the conga or I mean so please just let me lift the the cloud of fear and with my left and with my right we're not going to do all of that but at the same time I think there is a a godly challenge to be brought, actually, on what it is to be like children before our Heavenly Father. So I'm, I'm hoping that will be encouraging and helpful. And we'll, yeah. And even if it isn't, I'm afraid you're stuck with it. <laughs> um, so Christians, if we just turn, if you can, to Mark chapter 9. Um, to Mark chapter 9. Um, because Christians are called to be like children in the way we approach God. In fact, Jesus uses children as an example a lot for the way we're to approach God. But for some of us, for the fact that Christians are called to be like children is a bit of an embarrassment, if we're honest, because, um, I mean, it, that's always been true, actually. In the first couple of centuries after Jesus died and rose again, one of the biggest accusations against the church was, this is an organization for women, children, and slaves. And educated men in the Roman Empire sneered at Christianity, partly because it attracted all the wrong kinds of people. Because in their world, women, children, and slaves, they don't know what they're doing. We, proper men, we would never fall for this. And actually, that indicates Christianity has always had an appeal to children. And it's always had a pe- an appeal to people who in a society are perhaps on the margin somewhat, which some of, some of those groups were. Um, and that's kind of even still true today. Um, and, you know, people sometimes say the church is like the Titanic, women and children first. Um, and, and people sometimes are a bit critical about that, as if the fact that you attract children or the fact that you have a childlike approach means that serious people, who are obviously in our society, men and women, serious people would look and go, well, you just can't take it seriously. Because it's, it's like a childlike thing. It's a babyish thing. Um, and I, I remember 10 years ago, we used to have a guest worship leader from, in fact, one or two of you may have been there at the time. We had a guest worship leader from South Africa who would come. We have South Africans here. Yes. And, we, and the South Africans, they, they, well, you don't need to whoop, but you can if you like. Do you want to whoop? We have South Africans here. There you go. And, um, and he was, he was, there was this guy called Evan who was a real clown. He was very confident and very sort of, right, we are going to shake up the stolid Britishness of this congregation. And he would, he would plant, he'd get this crazy guitar with a kind of weird shape and design and he'd sort of walk around the thing dancing, okay, we're all going to do this. And he would just get the whole church dancing song. And, and because he did it, and it would be really celebratory and really loud, um, but after he'd done it once, there were a number of people in the church who knew he was coming and they just refused to come. So they'd, they'd like boycott that Sunday every year. 
It might even have been some of you, I don't know. I won't name and shame. But we, I remember talking to two couples in the church who'd been in the church a long time. Both of them have since left. Um, not because of him, I don't think. But they would, just, they would blackball that Sunday because they found it embarrassing to be challenged to dance like children. They didn't like it. And actually, I think there's something... I can understand it, actually, but I also think there's something a bit... Something in here that makes me go, that's, that's where my British culture has probably displaced a lot of biblical exhortation to be childlike and to make lots of noise and to dance and party and so on. Um, and again, we have to do it wisely. And bear in mind, there's sort of 70 of us rather than 700 of us or whatever. We obviously do worship in a particular way. But I was, when I heard that, and I, for many years I thought, yeah, there is, there's something about English people, if we are English, that doesn't quite like being like a child. And so we find it a bit embarrassing. But the problem is, if you do that, you really cannot, because the call for, to be like a child comes from Jesus, you cannot get rid of the call to be childlike without booting Jesus' teaching out of your framework for worship. That's the problem. Jesus is big on it, actually, and we'll see that. So I want to read a, a couple of passages from Mark chapter, chapters 9 and 10, which focus in on that. The first one begins at Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. And then at the end of a few verses of that, we're going to jump into chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Um, so this is Mark 9, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way here? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest, which is a bad start. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child from where? We don't know. He took a child and put him in, maybe just created one, who knows, and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. That's a little, one little story about, about a child saying, you, you guys think you're the greatest. You need to be like a child. Come on, that's the story. And then he jumps, chapter 10, we'll jump into chapter 10 and verse 13. There's a bit about divorce in the middle, which we won't talk about today. And they were, and 10.13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. That's twice in the space of two chapters that Jesus uses a child as an example for the disciples, and both times the disciples get a good telling off. And the Gospels actually put a lot of emphasis on children even outside of these passages. So two of the Gospels start by describing Jesus as a child, which if you're writing ancient biographies of heroic figures is not how you would do it. Today you do. In biography, well, I was brought up in... blah blah. blah. That's not how you would typically do things in the ancient world because you want to present people as worthy of sort of veneration and respect. And you don't start with them as children who are helpless and unable to do anything for themselves. Jesus, when he's talking to adults in the Gospels, repeatedly uses words addressing children. Now, that's patronizing when we do it. So if I was to say, good morning, children, you would know I was either joking or really rude. But in the ancient world, that you could do it, but there would be a sense in which you were saying, so Jesus is healing people, and he speaks to this woman who's been ill for a generation, and he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus is only in his 30s. So he's speaking to a woman who's almost certainly older than him, 
who, and yet calls her daughter, which again, in our world, we wouldn't really do, but he's trying to help gently lead people into an understanding that they are children, children of God, his children in a meaningful sense, as he is God. He calls the disciples children. He says to them at the end of John, children, have you caught any fish? Little children, I'm telling you this. He quite often does it, actually. He also then makes a point of healing a lot of children in the gospel stories from demons or sicknesses, and he raises two children from the dead. There's three people who he raises from the dead in the Gospels, and two of them are children. He has quite a strong focus, actually, on kids in his earthly ministry, and then he uses them as examples for the disciples. He said, if you're not like this, you can't enter the kingdom. We've got the lovely, one of the lovely things about this congregation is it's nearly half made up of children on some days, and I love how many little kids there are here. They're so helpful, and I'm generally encouraged when I'm here that when children are roaming around and making a lot of noise, people, we don't have people going... Because actually there's meant to be something in us that goes, that's, what, that's me. And obviously there's a time and a place for saying, okay, the guy's preaching now, so we have kids' work. But that's fine. But, we, but underneath it, our heart is the same as the little boys who are running. And they, are, they do seem, an awful lot of them do seem to be boys, just kind of running around and bumping into things and shouting and charging and play fighting. There's meant to be something of that in us. And Jesus is quite big on that. And the question, I guess, is why? Why is it true? Oh, okay, Jesus says be like a child. Why? Why, do I, why would he say that? What is it about children that should serve as an example for us? And interestingly, in the story we've just read, we are not actually told. Jesus at no point says, become like a child because children are this, this, and this. doesn't do it. The passage never says, therefore, you should all be full of faith or exuberant or trusting or noisy or smelly or whatever it might be. But I think we can guess why Jesus says it. I think we can guess based on some clues in the passage and on some things that, some ways in which we know children are like, some things that are just true of kids. So I'm going to introduce you to six children, okay? This is a picture of mine. These are my kids on the outer ends and then my nephews and nieces on my, on my side of the family in the middle. We've got two other little baby ones who can't sit up. So this is a picture of them um, nearly about two years ago. So on the left-hand end in the yellow coat is my son Zeke. And then next to him is his cousin Ella, and then it's Joss, and then it's Harrison, and then it's Gracie, and then my daughter Anna at the other end. And I, I think you can learn something. I'm just putting them up there. For, they'll stay there for a minute because I'm going to tell a few stories about a few of them. But just help us see some of the ways in which we can learn from children in worshipping and approaching our Father. And I know how difficult it will be to hear some of this stuff for some of us because it's just not the way we're wired as British adults. Uh, which most of us are. Um, and I think there are four things, right, using these people and other, many others like them, and the story we've just read, I think there are four things we can tell, perhaps, are going on when Jesus says, be like a child. I think that children represent humility versus pride, as in humility as opposed to pride. I think they represent security as opposed to fear. I think they represent trust as opposed to cynicism. And I think they represent exuberance as opposed to embarrassment. Now, those are four, if you like, I'm doing four pairs. They represent, I think, humility, not pride, security, not fear, trust, not cynicism, and exuberance, not embarrassment, I think. And in, within the context of our personalities, please, I'm not going to try and get you to do something which you find excruciating. Some of you are already worried, thinking, what's he going to make me do? Howl like a wolf or something as part of this. That, I don't think that would be worshipful, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything like that. Um, You've been in meetings, some of you have been in meetings where that kind of thing, the leader does feel the need to make everybody do something weird for the sake of it. We're not going to do that. But I do think that sometimes within the constraints of our personality, 
we do need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on us and say, you take yourself a bit too seriously sometimes. And you might think that you're bigger than you are. And you might need to learn from people like this, wearing their funny pantomime glasses and sitting there quite naively going, I'm being taken a photo of wearing silly glasses. And all four of those pairs, I think, are very significant when it comes to cultivating a heart of celebration, which is what we're trying to look at in the course of this series, building up, of course, to having a great celebration time at United in a couple of weeks. So there's four, I'm going to leave this up here for a bit, okay? There's four pairs. The humility versus pride is my first pair, and the strongest clue in the text that we've just read is that children represent humility, not pride. And the reason I say that is because the context is all about, and the first story was all about the disciples have been going on their way, just chatting away. And you imagine Jesus is a little bit ahead, but he kind of knows what they're doing. So he's sort of over, you know when you're hearing fragments of conversations, thinking, they're talking about this, but you don't say anything. And then he gets get, waits to the house and then says, so what are you guys chatting about? And they say, well, nothing. And he said, because he knows they've been talking. Who's the greatest? Are you great? Oh my God. I think I'm a better disciple than you. I think they take themselves a bit seriously. They're puffing themselves up. And he says, listen, listen, listen. And then he gets a child and puts the child in front of them. And then he says, you've got to receive children. That's the way you become great. You become great by becoming small. That's what greatness is. And if you think you've grown out of childlike faith, you've got a huge problem. You need to be like a child. Now, the reason for that is not that children are all humble, which I think I've probably initially assumed. Is that, that's right, children are all very humble, adults are all very proud, so adults should become like children. But that, I think that's not true in the text, but I also think it's not true in ordinary life. I think you can just, most children think they rule the world. They don't, they're not, they're more proud, more arrogant in a way than adults. They might not express it the same way, but they really do think they're in charge. And so Joss, right? So Joss is the third from the right in the blue and white stripy top. So here's my brother's son, um, and they're over in Brighton. And he's just, he's a very self-confident, assertive little boy. He's very explorative. If he was here now, he'd just be, he'd quite happily sort of walk in, just go, hello, um, What's the, you know, he's just that kind of, throws himself around, doesn't, he thinks he rules the place. He's a lovely spirit to him, but he's not humble, right? That would need to be taught to him. And so my brother and his sister-in-law have got this little, they, they catechize him. It's just hilarious. They do this. And when he was about three or four, I remember Rachel, it was overheard them, just sitting down with him and going, Josiah, who is in charge of you? Daddy. And who else is in charge of you? Mummy. And there was a pause, they went, and what is Josiah in charge of? And he went, nothing. <laughs> it was just wonderful. I thought that you had, they had to, almost having to train him. You are not in charge. And probably the phrase that I say to my son more than any other, he's seven he's now, he was five in that picture, on the left-hand end, Zeke. Zeke, you are not in charge. He's very, very bossy. He walks, I've told you some stories about him before. Some of you heard him just walking down the street. Go and find the boy. I will be the only king of the Jews. You need me. I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. He doesn't quite understand how to contextualize the Bible to normal life. Um, and so he just marches around, just yelling at people, telling them what to do. Zeke, you are not in charge. And that's kind of one of our, that's our major discipleship challenge with him and will be for many years, I expect. So I, I don't think Jesus is saying, you've got to become like children because they're all so humble. I think if you have children, you know that that's not how they come out. Um, or if you did, then well done you because most of us haven't. The reason why Jesus says become like a child is not because children are humble, but it's because for an adult to become like a child would make the adult humble. Do you see the difference? He's not saying, hey, become like a five-year-old because five-year-olds are humble. He's saying become like a five-year-old because if you do, you would have to be humble. 
Because for you to behave like a child or to think of yourself that way would require, it would create humility in you. Because it would require you to understand, I don't understand everything. I'm not the greatest. And you imagine Jesus sitting down with Peter, James, and John. Peter, or actually since you're John, might as well call you John, right? John, <laughs> with an H. Okay, John, who is in charge of you? Jesus. And who else is in charge of you? God the Father. And what is John in charge of? nothing you can imagine maybe a process like that that's kind of the equivalent of this schooling that Jesus gives them in this story isn't it he's saying you you're not the greatest don't think you don't even ask that question realize you are like a kid and so the childlike heart is humble not proud second thing the childlike heart is also so again you can leave it up there for, for a bit the childlike heart is also secure that's not just a question of humility Question of security rather than fear. Now, that obviously I'm generalizing here because there are some children who are very frightened of, of, of a number of things, and some of them are legitimate fears, but there is some they're secure, particularly about encountering people who should frighten them, and they just simply don't because the children don't care. And I think there's something very powerful to learn about that as well. And I think to get that from the text requires a bit more imagination, but here's how I here's why I think it is in there. If you look at chapter 10 and verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus was indignant and blessed them. Now the question I would ask is, why were the disciples indignant or rebuking anybody who would bring a child to Jesus? Why wouldn't they just say, yeah, come, of course, welcome. I think part of the reason is you might think, we have access to him. But you don't. You're just a little child. What are you doing? Get over there. You know, there's like layers. It's like security at a bank. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. And we are around him, Peter, James, and John. And then there's the second layer of disciples, who, all the others, whose names get a bit more muddled in our minds. And then there's the crowds. And then there's the, you know, the poor or the lepers or whatever. And over here, there's little children. You are not priority cases to see the master. I kind of imagine something like that may be going on. There's a sense that you are not entitled access to him. Now, the text doesn't say that for sure. I know that. But that's kind of how I understand why else are they doing it. They don't seem to rebuke most people. They rebuke children. And I think it's because they think children don't deserve access. And the lovely thing about the children, of course, is they don't care. They don't know what access is. They're just like, oh, can I touch you? Oh, you hello, mister. And that's, again, we sometimes around, and they were bringing children. The children very quietly came through. And bowed to be blessed. And they hadn't been to an Anglican church, so they didn't know this. So they walk off. That's not probably, that's not children gathering around someone who's a bit of a celebrity. They're excitable, they're bouncy, and they come in, and they are very secure and able to do things. And my kids are very secure with me, and they're often very secure, as I've just said, too secure, probably, with lots of other people. They will be very assertive, and some of you have had run-ins with my children, for which I probably apologize, um, in terms of just very, very, like sometimes overconfidence. In fact, I had one recently where Anna was um, with me. She's just a little bit too secure with my love for her. Um, it's nice that she is. I was sitting on the sofa with her this morning, just lovely time, just really, ne she never doubts that I'm going to be for her. Um, the problem is sometimes she does things that she really shouldn't do because she doesn't doubt that I will be for her. And we had this moment a few months ago where she was sitting in our, so she's, she's special needs, so she's, she's quite... Um, She's developing quite late, so she's, she's nearly six, but she still uses a high chair and nappies and stuff. Anyway, so she's sitting in a high chair, and she doesn't use, have very many words. And I come up, and I just crouch down in front of her. So she's on her, she, imagine she's just like this, um, and I sort of come down and say, Anna, I love you. And she just looks at me and she goes, I love you, which is for her is a big thing. And I was like, oh, and I just looked at her, and I leant in like this, and just I went, she, she'd just gone, I love you. And I went, oh, and she went, 
and absolutely kicked me square in the chest and sent me flying in my kitchen. Because, you, of course, you're, you're not able to defend yourself. In this position, a little child gives you a kick in the chest. You're going over. And I was like, this... Sometimes security is a nuisance. Like, I would like it if you were not so secure that you didn't feel the freedom to kick me in the chest having just told me you love me. That would be really special. And the problem is that, of course, children are so secure that they don't just approach their own parents with a great deal of security. Sometimes they don't care who incredibly important people are. You might have seen that thing recently of the kid in the Oval Office dancing with Barack Obama. You might have seen, in a British example, this picture, which I just absolutely love, of this child, David Cameron, tries to get a school photo op, and this kid is just like, oh. I mean, I just love that, and children don't care. It's like, oh, he's the prime minister, you can't tune out and zonk your head against the thing. Oh, it's just a brilliant photo op, and I imagine the people that, I just, I don't care what your politics are, you must rejoice in the fact that at Tory head office, there's just loads of people who are like, oh, no, like, that is going to be the photo. Um, he won the election anyway, so it probably didn't bother him, but it just, I love that children do that kind of thing. Children are so secure with famous people. They don't really care. And I think there's something of that in the approaching, of Jesus, approaching to Jesus. They're just like, we don't care. I don't know who you... You might be the son of God, but I'm just going to walk up and talk to you like I would talk to anybody else. And the disciples don't like that and kick them away, but the children come in anyway. The childlike heart, yes, is humble, but the childlike heart is not humble in a sense of, and therefore I must stay out here on the margins and never approach him. The childlike heart is humble. I'm not very much, I'm just a child, but pretty secure as well. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, hello, let me talk to you. And that humble security or secure humility is, could sound almost like it's pulling in different directions. And I think Jesus puts children on display to say, be like that. You want to know, how, what's it look like to be secure and humble in approaching God? So you come in the meeting this morning, we come straight into the presence of the king of the universe, and you think, wow, I, need, I, I should be humble. I should be like, foot on my face, wow, this is God. At the same time, you think, I should be really secure as well. Like, this is good. God is for me. He loves me. He died for me. Of course I'm going to be okay. And some of us struggle with that almost tension. I want to be secure. I want to be humble. How do I do both? Jesus says, like a child. They do it. Look at them. A childlike heart is humble and the childlike heart is secure. The third thing I think the childlike heart represents is trust as opposed to cynicism. Children trust you even when they shouldn't. Yeah? I love this. And many people conclude that from Jesus' comment in chapter 10 and verse 15. Truly, I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And I think there's another text that helps us see that he's specifically talking about trust. In Matthew 11 and verse 25, Jesus says, I thank you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Why smart people hear the gospel and think, ah, oh, stupid, not for me. Kids hear the gospel and think, yeah. There's a trust in a child that is in, absolutely repudiates or just gets rid of all cynicism. You cannot be trusting and cynical at the same time. And children, of course, trust. And a story, you may have heard me tell the story before, and if so, I'm sorry. But when I was a kid, my dad told me that Parmesan cheese was made by grating the Italian's feet. And you, it's the kind of thing you hear as a child. And obviously, you hear it now, and you laugh, and you think, that's appalling to tell someone. But the problem is, if you hear it at the right kind of age, you, some of you have got stories like this. You hear it at the right kind of age, you believe it when he says it, but it then takes you many years before you stop and think, 
That's not true, is it? Have you had that where a, a parent tells you something when you're six and you believe it? You guys have done it. I can, you've had six kids. You must have done it lots of times. Like These random lies parents tell to try and put their children off things. And I was probably I went way too old. I was probably sort of 12 or 13 before I realized, oh, no, it's not. It comes from cows. I just thought, yeah, grated off the Italian's feet. You're just like, it almost sounds plausible because when you've smelt it, you think, that's, I'm so, I've never smelt an Italian's foot, but that's roughly what I expect it smells like. Um, and so some of you know Ollie, my friend Ollie, who's one of the elders in the church. And, um, and so he's got, I said to him, have you got any versions like that? He said, oh, yeah, they've got a five-year-old boy called Finn. And I said, oh, yeah, they've got a thing. He's, I, Finn doesn't like washing his hair. So I've just convinced him that if he doesn't wash his hair, his hair will fall out like granddad no hair because he's got a bald, his, da- his dad is bald. So he's like, your hair will fall out if your granddad no hair. Um, and, and so he's just got this thing. And then the, he said, and Ollie said to me, it worked just last night. I said, so Finn, you're going to come wash your hair? Oh, yes, otherwise I'll lose my hair like granddad no hair. He's just convinced him of this, children trust you. And then Ollie told me after, he said, I also told him that the guinea pigs had died, but that just made him cry. <laughs> and I was like, that's really unpleasant, so let's not abuse the trust that children have for us. But anyway, and then my, my favorite example was, um, some of you all know a guy called David, who's our, who's our trust manager, our administrator of the whole church. And he, he, he works with us uh, over in Eastbourne. And I said to him, did you have any of these? And he said, well, I don't remember telling any of those. I'm mean, sure I have. But he said, I do remember being told one like this. And I just, I thought it was an inspired lie. I just thought it was a wonderful example. So he said he was about seven or eight, and he was walking around a graveyard with somebody who was showing him around for some reason. Like some, I don't know what, quite what the context was. Um, and he noticed that some of the graves, graveyard areas had railings around them. And he said, age seven or eight or something, why do some of the graves have rails around them? And the guy immediately says, oh, they're the people who died when they were in prison. Which is the most fantastic lie. And David goes, oh, okay, okay. And, what's up? and he said, and I was much too old. I was like about 15 or 16 before I realized, I don't think that's true. I don't think they imprison people in after they're dead. That's the most fantastic. The thing is, children trust you. They're not cynical. And some of us really struggle with the idea of imitating that because we don't want to be gullible. We don't want to be naive. We are, in fact, many of us, if we're, again, English adults, we probably are much more worried about being gullible and naive than we are about being cynical. But I think in the kingdom of God, if you're given a choice, take being naive over being cynical. And I say that as somebody who loves reading books and study. I submitted my PhD last week. Hooray! I'm not, I'm not encouraging ignorance. I'm just saying I think, even, and I'm personally very wide. I'd much rather be cynical. As a, in, the, in the sinful Andrew, I'd much rather be someone who never gets hoodwinked because I like education. I like, like, but I think there is something of Jesus' the weight of his teaching here is saying that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest fear should not be I might get duped sometimes. And I'm not encouraging stupidity. But your biggest fear should be that your heart becomes hard because you cannot trust. And so you spend the whole life going, but, 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 what if, what if, what if, what if, and oh, yeah. But, and so and this happens when people share stories of what God's doing in their lives. You hear a miracle story, and many of us do. We just want to say, ah, oh, but I bet, it's the, oh, I bet it won't last. And it becomes almost impossible for God to do anything that we are persuaded by or convinced of. And so actually, Jesus said, you, you've got to be like children. Children are trusting rather than cynical. And Jay shared a quote with me a couple of weeks ago from a Caitlin Moran, who writes for various newspapers, and some of you had read her writing. And she just said, in an article about something else, she said, cynicism is like armor. It protects you, but you can't grow in it or dance. Cynicism is like armor. It protects you, but you can't grow 
or dance. And I thought that was such a helpful picture. And I think there is something of us. We go, all right, I'm protected. I'm safe. I've been tricked before. I don't want to fall for it again. I'm safe. I'm in armor. But you can't grow and flourish if you have that kind of heart. The childlike heart is trusting. It's trusting. One more for now. And then I'm going to summarize what it means to worship and we'll pray. The childlike heart, I think, fourthly represents exuberance as opposed to embarrassment. And this is, again, a work of imagination in this story, um, having seen children when someone exciting is around. Jesus, from what we can tell of Jesus, he was the kind of guy who, when he walked in, people were interested that he was there. They were excited, and they gathered to him everywhere he goes. As soon as word of his miracles starts, have you heard this guy raised a child from the dead? This guy healed this. This guy does this. He's got power over sicknesses. He speaks. He's turning the world upside down. Have you heard? Have you heard? The news about him spreads. Adults are flocking around him going, what, 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 what's the news? Imagine how much more that was true of children. They were excited, and they gather around, and again, we read chapter 10, verse 16, slightly floatily. And he took them in his arms and blessed them. <laughs> whenever, you, whenever somebody says blessed instead of blessed, you know they've made it, read it floatily. And blessed them, laying his hands on them. It's like, children don't work like that. I don't believe that's how it was. They're loud and they scuffle and they get overexcited. And they pull and they tug the clothes and they put their feet on the furniture and they wrestle and they play fight and they shout. And they then start arguing with each other in the queue to, be, to meet this guy. Like, what are you doing? And they, they come up, they're trying to touch John, and they go, I want to touch him. And then they get distracted by something, and they start yelling at each other. And they, meanwhile, he's wandered off, and another child goes in and goes, oh, I'll talk to him then. That's how children work. You've seen them. You have seen them, right? <laughs> if, you have, if you haven't, there's, yeah, anyway. Children don't work like that. So my son, and I wake up in the morning. Um, so again, just put, the, put that, that, that picture back up again. Um, so you can sort of see it on him, I expect. Um, but he's looking away. He's, I don't know what he did immediately after that picture was taken. But in the morning, when Rachel gets up with the children and I am allowed to sleep until 7 o'clock, it's like revival. Um, and when that happens, she's going, she goes to make me a cup of tea because she's lovely. And she's on the way up the stairs. And then he charges past and goes, I'll go first, I'll go first, I'll go first. Runs up the stairs, charges into the room, leaps onto the bed, get, runs, tries, tries to get under the covers, and then immediately starts rough and tumbling and headbutting and playing. She's like, I want a fight. And sometimes he just like goes... Literally, attack! And starts charging at me. Children behave like that when they're excited. I think children would be excited by Jesus. I think that when they, and that's one of the reasons I think the disciples are trying to stop it. In Matthew eleven sixteen, Jesus describes children and just as those who are singing and playing games in the marketplace. In other words, they're being exuberant and noisy. It was true in the ancient world as well as it is now. And so the disciples want the children to stand back, embarrassed. No, no, don't do that. Feel bad about it. And they just go, and charge in, and they are exuberant and noisy. And then when the disciples tell them off, Jesus rebukes them and says, you should be like that too. The childlike heart is exuberance. So what's that got to do with corporate worship? Well, it's pretty simple in a way, and it probably applies itself in many ways. What does it look like to celebrate God with humility, security, trust, exuberance? What does that look like? I think it looks like the Psalms. It looks like noisy musical shouting, clapping, raucousness, if you like. That's what it looks like in parts. Clap your hands, all your nations. Shout for joy aloud. Wake up, O my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. Praise him with cymbals. Praise him with tambourines and dancing. It doesn't have to literally do all of those things at once. It's kind of doing you know, enough hands. But, you know, make a, make a joyful noise. I think this kind of childlike worship looks like the Psalms. I think childlike worship looks like the church in Corinth. 
Childlike celebration involves participating and not watching, I think. I think it does. I think that's what kids do. They assume they're part of it. They go, oh, I'll join in. They don't just go, oh, it's so sad. And, and I think that the church in Corinth like that. It involves everybody bringing together their gifts and says, I've got something to bring. I'll do. I'll pitch in. Yeah, of course I will. Now everyone, everyone, Paul says it in Corinth. Everyone's got a song, a teaching, an interpretation, a prophecy, or whatever. They, everybody joins in. That's that kind of worship. I think it looks like Revelation. It's diverse. It's noisy and loud. Then I looked and I saw before me a multitude that nobody could count from every tribe and tongue and nation. Everyone on earth was represented here and they were all making an enormous racket. It's kind of what the original Greek means. And it, I think it looks like regular church meetings where people come together and say, do you know what? There is a, I have a capacity, because of what God's done in me, to be freshly amazed by the gospel even though I've heard it many, many times before. I'm preparing, God, for you to come and speak to me in a way that I know I will have heard some of this stuff already if I've been here before. I'll have sung that song before. I might have sung it 20, 30, 50, 100 times before. I might have heard that passage preached on many times before. And I'm still coming because as a child, I'm able to get excited by things that I've seen before. And you may have heard me read this before. G.K. Chesterton, but it's so good, I'll read it again. He says, because children have abounding vitality... Because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and again in the evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately. He's just never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. And I think that childlike worship looks like being able to come to God and say, you know what, I may know what it is. Do it again. Okay, we're going to break bread. Do it again. Okay, we're going to sing this. Do it again, God. I want to renew my strength by finding my childlike satisfaction in something that I kind of already know. And obviously, as church leaders and worship leaders, we've got a responsibility to help with that. But I think all of us, in some sense, God is calling us to be children approaching God together in worship. So what I want to do is I just ask um, the the band to kind of come up, and and we're going to to worship in a moment. But I'd love to be able to pray for a few people. And I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything weird, but I would like to pray for anybody who you think this is... Yeah, I think if if I'm honest, I think this is an issue with me. I think God is speaking to me this morning about becoming more childlike. I think that's something I could use some help with, right? Some of you are already there. Some of you are not yet there, and you don't think that you're ready to be prayed for about. That's fine. But I think there might be a number of people in the middle who say, actually, that is, yeah, that is. I, I do grow up too quick. And often, I, one, of, one of those things, cynicism, maybe, that, maybe that's in my life. Or the insecurity of not, the embarrassment. I think those things are part of my life. And I would love God to help me with that. And if any of those things are true, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. But I'd just love you to stand now and we'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. So if you've got one, one of those things you recognize, one of those uh, dynamics in your life, you say, I'm either not as secure as I'd love to be, I'm not as humble as I'd love to be, or I'm not as trusting or not as exuberant as I'd love to be, just why don't you get to your feet now?